This morning, we tread into deep water our justification. Justification is a theological word that you should all learn and know. If you don't know it now, this is a good chance, good opportunity to learn it and and to get it straight in your mind what justification is talking about. In the children's catechism, one of the questions is, what is justification? Is that how it's asked? What is justification? Do any of you kids know the answer to that question? Anybody know? You don't know? Is it when God makes the hearts and actions of believers holy? No. I tricked you all. (laughs) Because that's sanctification, and that's the confusing part to us. We have to get these two words straight in our minds, justification and sanctification. What's justification? Yes? (laughs) That's a good, safe answer. It's wrong. (laughs) Come on, doesn't any of you know? Does anybody know? What is, how does it go? Why don't you, you know it? God forgives sinners and accepts them as if they'd never sinned. That's right. You guys remember that one now? Remember that answer? That's justification. God forgiving sinners and accepting them as if they'd never sinned. That's an important, important topic. It's an important thing for us to understand. And the difference, I like to take plenty of opportunities to... uh, Remind us of the difference between justification and sanctification. Sanctification is when we begin to live a holy life. The work that we do towards living more and more according to the way God has commanded us to live. It's what, in a sense, we do. By God's power, yes, but it is, it is what we do. Whereas justification is what God does to us. In a, simpler, in a very simple way of thinking about it, justification is God forgiving us, declaring us righteous, and making us holy before him. Making us righteous, not through our actions, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, having washed away our sins. This is how we are forgiven and accepted by God. And this is central to what it means to be a Christian. So let's now stand and read from John chapter 19, verses 16 through 30. We pick up right after Jesus' trial before Pilate, and it says, So he, Pilate, then handed him, Jesus, over to them to be crucified. 
They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar, a jar of sour wine, a jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head. And gave up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So many things in this passage, so many things that we could study and to great, great benefit to us. Uh, we see the kingship of Jesus Christ in here brought to the fore, even through the words of Pilate, the wicked governor of the Romans. Uh, We see a continued rejection of him as king on the part of the Jews. Um, We see these prophecies being fulfilled where It says it was to fulfill the scripture that says they divided my outer garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. We see the sweet and tender love that Jesus had for his mother as well as for his... uh, for her care into the future as he's going away. And 
Yet all of this is leading inexorably to his death, right? It's, it's marching straight forward, fulfilling, fulfilling, fulfilling the prophecies, fulfilling the scriptures, the Old Testament prophecies, and marching straight to his being up on the cross and then his death upon the cross. And it's right at the moment of his death that he says, it is finished. It is finished. Christ had to die for it to be finished. He had to die for it to be finished. Why? Well, because what is it? What exactly has been finished? You can't really answer the question, why did he have to die for it to be finished, if you don't know what it is, right? So what is it? What exactly is finished? Our salvation. Our salvation is finished. Now, this is why I said uh, earlier in the service that we tread into deep waters this morning. Because... Finished is not the way that it feels right now, is it? Don't you still struggle against your own sin? Don't you still look forward to the finishing, the completion of your salvation? Doesn't all of creation continue to groan looking forward to that? And so when Jesus says it is finished... What exactly is he talking about? I I mean, I've said it's our salvation, but he's speaking of all of the Old Testament prophecies. He's speaking of all of the work that he's been sent to do. He's, He's speaking of him completing the will of his Father, in sending him, remember how over and over and over in the book of John, the focus is on the obedience of the Son to the Father and how he has come to do his Father's will, how he has done exactly what his Father said. And now, just a short while earlier, he's praying in the garden and saying, if there's any way, take this cup away from me, Father. But not my will, but your will be done. And now... It is finished. It is finished. And so that's why I say, first of all, that Christ had to die for it to be finished. Because he prayed to the Father that the Father would take this cup away if there was any way for this to happen aside from him going to his death. The Father would have granted that. You see what I'm saying? He had to go all the way to the cross, up onto the cross, and all the way through his suffering there to death for it to be finished. Why? Why did it have to be that? The only answer is because of your sin and mine. 
That is the only answer. That is the depth of our sin. That is what is required of us in order for us to be saved. You understand? It's required that there be payment for our sin. This is, I'm I'm introducing all kinds of theological terms today. This is called the penal substitutionary atonement. You guys ever heard of a penal colony? Get sent to the penal colony? It's a it's when they, you know, when they send, I guess that was probably Australia, right? The, the, the quintessential. And what is it? It's a place, it's, it's, a, it's a whole place where you send all the criminals to what? To pay the penalty. Penalty. Penalty for what? Penalty for our sin. Substitute. Substitutionary. Meaning that you don't pay it if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, but he pays it. He is your substitute. And atonement. The substitutionary atonement. What is atonement? Well, you know in relationships when you need to make atonement, right? It means to go and make it right. And we find that hard to do sometimes. In this case, we're talking about making it right with God. Being reconciled to God through repayment of what is owed. There you go. Penal, substitutionary, atonement. You're paying the penalty through a substitute in order to be made right with God. This is essential for us to understand. It's absolutely the core of what it means to be a Christian. That you have put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you doesn't make any sense apart from there being something to be saved from, right? And what are you being saved from? Well, your sins. But more than that, the just wrath of God that your sins deserve. God's wrath is poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross in the passage that we read this morning. And so, that is how we are reconciled to God. The whole Old Testament was pointing forward to this one sacrifice. The whole Old Testament was filled with sacrifices. We saw, we saw the, um, the, I don't know if you'd call it the... Uh, 
Jethro was the priest of Midian, right? Does that mean that he was a heathen priest? Or does, I, I'm not sure. Regardless, you see his faith in the passage that we read this morning when he says God is greater than all the other gods. And then what does it say? He sacrificed to God, and then they had a meal before the Lord together, right? And what, why, why sacrifice? Over and over and over and over in the Old Testament, sacrifice, 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 and none of us have ever seen a sacrifice. Most of us have never even seen an animal die. But it's a bloody affair. And it makes clear to us how intense our sin really is, what we understand our sin to deserve. And the faith of those people in the Old Testament is the same as our faith. It is saying to God, here's what should happen to me. There's the sacrifice. God, unless you provide a sacrifice, this is what is coming to me. My death, my destruction, wrath being poured out on me. And for us, we look back to the one sacrifice that completed all of those Old Testament sacrifices, right? They all pointed forward to the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, once for all, as the author of Hebrews says. Once for all. This is atonement. Look at how many prophecies have been fulfilled. How many acts of faith. Every single one of those sacrifices did not just point forward to Jesus Christ. It was a little, it was a little prophecy by faith. A, re, a redeclaration of the prophecy that the Messiah would come and bear the sins of the world. And so today we also celebrate the Lord's Supper, right? It's no longer a sacrifice. It's a meal partaking of the one true sacrifice once for all. And so just as the Old Testament they were not they, they were they were looking forward so we look back to that one sacrifice for what for the hope of our sins being washed away of being cleansed and nothing else can justify us when jesus says it is finished he is declaring that it is only by his work there that it is finished. It not only had to happen, that there had to be justice made, that there had to be the penalty paid for sins, right? It's also that that was the only thing that could justify us. 
how else can we justify ourselves? Well, the question is wrong, right? How else can we justify ourselves? We don't have a first way to justify ourselves. Christ justified us there on the cross. Those who have their faith in him. Is there any way for us to justify ourselves? For us to make the the payment for our sins? To be atoned for? No, there's a lot of ways that we would like to. There's a lot of ways that we attempt to justify ourselves. But every way that we seek to make ourselves be acceptable to God, clean in his sight, is ultimately accomplishing nothing except one thing, and that is to lower God's law so that we can fulfill it. Now, what are some of the ways that we try to lower God's law so that we can say, oh yes, I measure up? You guys remember the rich young ruler? Rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, how can I be saved? And Jesus says, well, you know the law. Obey your parents and don't murder and don't steal and so forth. And he says, I've done all of those things. And what has he done? He has lowered the law of God to something that he can keep. Right? And this is why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks of the, the, those same commands of do not murder being so high a command as to require us never to yell at our brother or sister. Right? And the, the command not to commit adultery being so high a command as never to look with lust. Because why? Well, because sin starts in our hearts and then overflows out of us through our actions, through our, through our lips, through our words, right? But it starts first in our hearts. And so the law, the law of God, the command of God is, be ye holy as I am holy, perfect, perfectly pure and obedient in his sight. And the only way we can ever make ourselves feel that holy is to just bring that law way, 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 way down to our level. Do you feel good about your obedience? Are you trying to justify yourself? Now listen, this this is confusing because... You know, to preach a good sermon on justification, I almost have to feel like I'm taking a hammer to sanctification, right? And, and, it, and every fiber in my being screams against it because today, nobody wants to talk about just a, a sanctification, right? They only want to talk about justification, that Christ did it all. And that's really what the sermon is. It is finished. He did it all. That's the message today. That's the the whole thing. And yet, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with the way that we talk about justification. 
And what's wrong with it is that we don't we don't really we don't really put to death the way that we the way that we try to just the ways that we try to justify ourselves. Okay, when he says it is finished, that is to be a nail in the the final nail in the coffin of you trying to justify yourself. Okay. And that's the thing that we've got to get straight from justification, from this sermon. So I talk about the rich young ruler and, and how he brings the law down to the level where he can say, oh yeah, I've kept all those laws. Right? But how do we try to justify ourselves? Well, yes, it is in a, in a manner of speaking through obedience, but I think, I think the most common way that we try to justify ourselves is to simply uh, to, to simply deny that we ever sin. We do that in various ways, but that when boiled all down, we deny that we ever actually sin. Now, you can see the symptoms of this in people never apologizing and never asking for forgiveness, right? To ask for forgiveness is an acknowledgement of your sin, right? And so what do we do instead of asking for forgiveness? We seek to justify ourselves. And this is where we use the word the same way that it really means. We seek to justify ourselves. That there is always an excuse for why I do what I do. Why I did what I did. I said this, I did that because my brother was... Right? What is going on in here? Well, she said, that, and he did, and such and such, and you come out crystal clear, don't you, kids? All clean, all justified. And, and adults, we do the exact same thing. And we don't even, we don't even necessarily care. It's not like you have to go around... Uh, it's not like you have to go around explaining to other people how you did everything right. Some people do that. But a lot of us just go around trying to convince ourselves of it. Playing through the scenario in your mind and trying to, trying to see the, the whole thing again, what went down, and just, just try to play through that whole tape without there being any red sections where like red stands for your sin. You know what I'm talking about? And, and so you, you hit a spot and you're like, oh, that doesn't look good. Let's start over from the beginning and think about a way that maybe we could justify that. And so you, and so you try to convince yourself that you didn't do anything wrong.
what do you want? Do you want to have do you want to have gone through that conversation, that conflict, whatever it is? Do you want to have gone through that without sinning or do you want a savior who justifies you? Well, I mean, I I want to go through it without sinning. I say, yeah, but you didn't. And that's the, that's the problem that we all face. And that's what I want you, us to get straight about justification, is that justification is necessary because we're constantly sinning. And yes, it is offered freely. Yes, it is a precious gift. Yes, in, in that sense, it, we, come to, we come to Christ just as we are. But we come with our sins, a nasty mess before us on our hands. We don't come, we don't come with some sort of entitlement mentality, thinking that, well, this is just what I deserve. This is what, you know, I'm actually a pretty good person, and therefore, you know, I know that he'll forgive me. That's not justification with Christ saying it is finished on the cross, that is justification of you saying, well, comparatively speaking, I'm a pretty good guy. God knows that I mean well generally. That is, that sort of, that sort of presumption in coming before God and demanding that he owes you his justification instead of coming and and saying, here is my filth. I know there is no reason for you ever to accept me. Please, take it away. Make me holy. And Jesus says, it is finished. You are righteous. You are justified. That is the gift. And so don't ever don't ever make light of your sin. Because the moment you begin making light of your sin, you are making light of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Your sin is wicked. So wicked that it required Jesus to die. Not so wicked that he had to uh, come and show you how to live a good life. That's bogus. So wicked that he had to come and live the perfect life for you and then die because that's what your sins require. Our works accomplish nothing of our justification because all of our works are tainted with that nasty mess that you're, walk, that, that you're carrying to the cross. The way the Apostle Paul puts it is that he even repents of his righteousness. Why? Well, because don't you see that black, oily, nasty mess running through your righteousness? You want to be justified. Put your faith in him. 
not in the fact that you can like bundle up the good part over the nasty, yucky part and feel good about yourself. Wrap it in enough layers of talk, good talk, good theologically accurate talk, so that you never have to get down to the heart of what's wrong in you. And he says, it is finished. Now, what is the difficulty there? Well, the dif- there's, there's a lot of difficulties with him saying it is finished with our brains because time, right? Time is a strange concept. It's always going forward, right? And actually, that was backwards for you guys. That's all right. It's always going forward. Try that again. It's never going backwards. And Jesus says, it is finished. And like I already said, you know, there's, this, there's this difficulty for us to understand what he means by it is finished when we weren't even born. You weren't a Christian yet because you, you didn't exist yet. Right? What does he mean, it is finished? And, and besides, he hadn't actually died yet. Right? And he hadn't raised, been raised from the dead yet, and that's a necessary part of finishing it, right? If he had only died and then not raised, what does Paul say? We would, have, we would be of all men most to be pitied, because it wouldn't have been finished. And yet Jesus says, it is finished. Well, I'm not trying to make more of this than, you know, I'm not trying to make a conflict. If you understand what's going on there and how Jesus is speaking, good. But if you don't understand, that can be a real, it can throw you for a real loop, Right? What does he mean, it is finished? And especially the, the fact that, you know, I also still struggle with my sanctification. Well, there's a few things to say about that that I, I think are necessary for us to remember. First of all, with God, time is not a barrier. Okay, time is not a barrier. God exists in a different way than we do. From everlasting to everlasting, uh, sovereign over all of history. And when Jesus says it is finished, at that time our justification was accomplished. And yet, justification happens at a particular point in time when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so we, do, we, we say it, it, your, your, your justification has been accomplished, and yet we don't say that All people through all time, that was when their justification happened. 
we say that's when it was accomplished. But you are justified when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Not before that. You know that, that, but that prior to that moment, that if you never come to that moment, and when, or up until that moment, right, that you're living outside of his grace, outside of his will, and without any justification before his eyes. And that's what you know you need. You know you need to be justified before him. And therefore, you come and you repent and you place your faith in him, right? And he washes you and gives you a new heart at that moment. That's, just, that's when you're justified. If you died the day before, you wouldn't go to heaven because you're not justified, right? And this has, this has meaning for us for evangelism. It also has meaning for any of you who do not yet have faith. Justification must be accomplished in our lives. We don't simply... We don't simply live, again, assuming somehow that we are justified. When Jesus says, it is finished, the question is, have you put your faith in that? And if you have, then you're justified. And if you haven't, then you're not. This final act of Jesus on the cross so so covered in and 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 so so demonstrating his love you see the tenderness of his dealing with his mom you see his you see his complete willingness to obey his father and, and it all comes up to him saying, everything that has been promised, this is when it's accomplished. And in the same, in the same way, this is, what is, this, is, this is when the destruction of Satan is accomplished. Satan's will is what? Satan's desire is that we would, that we would be destroyed that we would suffer the penalty for our sins. And so, this is the completion of God's will. And when he says it is finished, it's finished. And all that's left after justification is the mop-up operation. Mopping up the rest of your sin through your fighting against it and by his Holy Spirit living a sanctified life and mopping up the rest of his enemies. But through his death and his resurrection, that is when 
the victory was accomplished. If it, and and what, is the, what does all of that come to? All of that comes to the love that Jesus, that, that God the Father had and that his Son had for us, for his people. Because if you, if you go way back, you go way back to the garden and you see that they sinned in the garden and that Satan was an enemy of God, what is preventing God from simply saying, the end, destroying Satan? Is there, is there anything that's preventing God from ending it all? Nothing aside from his sovereign love and desiring to glorify himself through the salvation of a people for himself. And so, he sends his son. So, he gives the message. So, he gives the prophecies. So, he brings them to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And this was the part that was required. All the rest of what you see of his enemies being made a footstool for his feet, he didn't have to come and die and be raised for that to happen. Right? He had to come and die and be raised in order for our sins to be forgiven. And so when Paul, or yeah, is, that, is, that, is that one of Paul's letters where he says he's not slow as some of us count slowness, but he is patient? That's Peter. I wondered. Thank you. He's not slow. The fact that he has not placed all of Jesus' enemies underneath his feet yet is why? So that he may continue bringing his people into his kingdom and saving us. So that we can be justified. That's his patience. And so today, that's the call to you. If you have not placed your faith in him, be justified today, not by your own works, not by convincing yourself that you're good enough, not by lowering the law of God, not by trying to demonstrate to other people that you always at least mean well, even if it didn't work out quite right, but rather simply by saying, I have this nasty ball of rotten mess and... and Every time I try to cover it up or get rid of it, it just gets worse. But Jesus Christ paid the penalty for sins, and I want it to be the penalty for my sins. Because that's the only thing that can take away this mess from me. And that is the beauty of being justified. It's God declaring us righteous, just like that. Not because we somehow said the right words, not because of some magical prayer, simply by believing, by faith. Let's pray.